Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding. I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today, Sunday, August the 1st, 2021. Well, I hope you've had a good week. We've certainly had an interesting week. On um, Last week, you know, on Friday, Will, my son, uh, who's 28, had uh, surgery to put back the skull flaps that they had to remove on March the 21st when he had a traumatic brain injury. And so he's probably been missing more than half of his skull easily since that time. It's amazing what they were able to do, in spite of the fact that they didn't have much hope for a, a really good recovery at the time. They, they really didn't. They didn't believe much of anything. They, it, they believed mostly that he probably wouldn't live through the night. And if they had to guess at that point, which I didn't allow, because there's no point in doing that, um, if they had had to guess at that point, the, the doctor is pretty clear that, that he would have guessed that, okay, if he makes any kind of a recovery at all, he won't be anything like he was before. He won't have the same capabilities. He won't have any of that stuff. And, I mean, he, he described it when we met with him before this last surgery as a miraculous recovery. I mean, it's just nobody expected it. Even three weeks in, nobody expected it. And I know that because a nurse asked me if he can't do, have you thought about if he'd want to live if he can't do X, Y, and Z? So I know, you know, well into this whole thing, and even after he came out of the coma, Nobody really thought that he was going to make a full recovery, but he's done incredibly well and has already, I would say, almost recovered completely from this last surgery. He's got to have the staples out next week. There's probably a hundred of those in his head. So, but, but we went out yesterday and walked four miles. We did three and a half miles the day before. He's working out with bands and doing all this stuff, and it's incredible what God's done. Will's put in a lot of work. I give him a lot of credit for that, but, but God did just an amazing thing to give him a new life. And he is truly a new creation in so many ways. And, and we're excited about that. Uh, we wish that it had never happened, certainly, but, but God's using it for good. There's no question that he is. And so it's, it's, it's exciting to see the recovery and all that. And, and I've enjoyed being able to spend the time with him. We had a difficult relationship before. Um, it w- wasn't smooth at all, but, but we're spending time together every day now doing things together and talking about all kinds of stuff and so getting to know each other in a different way and it's exciting to see that thing it's you know we're living through this crazy crazy time in american history and they're talking about more lockdowns again and mask mandates coming back and and the vaccinated hating the unvaccinated and that being stirred and stroked by um much of the media as well as politicians it's it's just an amazing thing to see Americans pitted against Americans in incredibly unhealthy ways. And nobody seems to even recognize this or even back off from uh, the precipice. And it's on both sides. There's no question, you know, that that calling people sheeple and um, and, and telling them that they're going to die from this vaccine and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and oh, it's going to neuter you. It's going to who knows? You know, we don't know any of these things. There, there's so much information out there and some of it has to be misinformation. But but I'd like to believe that at least on the scientific side, people on both sides are doing it from good faith. But but sometimes, man, it's hard to believe that that there's good faith arguments being made. And, and there's so much deception. I mean, I saw something today. Uh, a woman on Twitter who happens to be running for a congressional seat posted a picture and said, I'm a frontline doctor and I'm in the uh, emergency room at my hospital, which is now being overrun um, because of the unvaccinated. Well, if you actually look this person's bio up, they're a veterinarian. I mean, how how awful <laughs> 
to do something like that. But I've seen so many crazy things during the last year, year and a half. I mean, when I was working at Amazon, I had a friend who was um, a team leader there, and she had two different people who were hired on a pretty short-term basis, 90 days with the possibility of being extended. And, and these people, um, two of them, told her that, that they needed time off, a couple of weeks off. And she said, well, you don't get a couple of weeks off. You're only on a 90-day contract. And, and the answer was, well, I, I need the time off because my child died of COVID. Oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Yes, of course you can have time off, but all we need is a death certificate. And the answer was, oh, never mind. Why? You, you told a lie that your child died of COVID so you could get some time off from work? Just quit. Just quit and be honest. I mean, it's crazy the, the times we live in. And, and I think that, that we've got to come to grips with some of that. And, and we've got to understand, I think, what it actually means to believe in Jesus. And that's what I want to talk about today. Um, the, the lessons for today are 2 Samuel eleven twenty six to twelve thirteen, which is um, the aftermath of David's affair with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband, along with other soldiers of Israel who were in harm's way because of David's sin. So we're going to deal with that, and then we're going to look at Ephesians 4, 1 to 16, and then um, the gospel is John 26, 24 to 35. So in this, in this passage from 2 Samuel, um, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband, which is commendable. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. So uh, whether David thinks he got away with this or whether he's just trying to do the noble thing at this point is very difficult to tell. But the Lord sent Nathan to David, and, and Nathan comes and he tells David a story. There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against this man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, You're the man. That story was about you, David. And thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. In other words, he used the Ammonite army to kill uh, Uriah. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you've despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I'll raise up evil against you out of your own house and I'll take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. So David knew what the punishment ought to be for a man who did such a thing. 
who ha- who had a great amount, but took from the man who had little because he would rather not sacrifice one of his own. In spite of the fact that little ewe lamb was was like that man to that man was like a daughter. It, it was everything to him. It's like killing one of his children was the story that Nathan told. And David knew immediately this man deserves to die for what he's done. Well, let's make it human, David. It was you. You're the one who did it. You had multiple wives. You have everything else. And yet you decided that you had to have this woman. You got her pregnant. And then you killed her husband. David, if that man deserved to die, how about you, buddy? How about it, big boy? And, and so David knows, yes, I've done it. I'm the guy. Yes, I am the man. David says, I've sinned against the Lord. Yeah, you have. Yeah, you have. And you sinned against Uriah, and you sinned against Bathsheba, and you sinned against whatever their progeny might have been, and you sinned against their families. It's, but yes, you sinned against the Lord, David. That's exactly right. And that's the most important thing you did. Because he is your Lord. He is your God. He is the one who has given you all things. He chose you, he anointed you, he appointed you, and he has provided all these things for you. And you turned your back on him. You turned your back on his law. You, David, the one who wrote Psalm 119, 176 verses, extolling the law. David, you're the man. You're the man who did that, but you're also the man who did this. And it's true. It's who we are. We are equally capable of loving God, loving his law, and then also transgressing it in awful ways. It's, it's a, a horrible thing to see what David's done here. And to, to, to hear what the punishment's going to be, and that is that there's, there's always going to be enmity in your house. The sword will never depart from your house, and it doesn't. We begin to see that almost right away. We begin to see it with, with Amnon raping his half-sister Tamar. And then um, Absalom getting revenge on Amnon two years later and killing him. And, and then it goes on and on and on. It's an interesting thing to me that... Um, the statement that, that God makes here towards the end, I'll take your wives and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your son, wives in the sight of this son, S-U-N, for you did it secretly, but I'll do this thing before all Israel and before the son. That's an interesting little phrase. It doesn't come up very often. Where it does sort of come up in the most important place is actually in the book of Ecclesiastes, when David's and Bathsheba's son Solomon writes, that all things under the sun are nothing more than vanity. Everything under the sun, he says, is vanity. And so, so what Solomon encourages people to do is set their sights above the sun. Seek after those things that are eternal, not those things that are, that are created, because those things are not worth it, he said. He, he says, you know, even if you pile up a fortune, who knows what kind of fool you're going to give it to. Even if you had many wives, you had much stuff, what difference does it make in the end? It's just stuff, and you're just going to want more. And so, so your mind's going to wander from the things you have to the things you don't have. And then it becomes perverse, frankly, after that. And I think that's where we are in some ways as a society, is, is that we become bored with the things that, you, that used to give us great pleasure. We become bored with those things. And David was in that same situation here. David has everything. David has the thrones, he has the palace, he has the wives, he has the children, he has everything. But he doesn't have that woman, and so he had to have her. He was bored with leading the people and going out into battle, and so he sends Joab instead of going himself. David needed a new thrill. 
it's it's the way we are unfortunately there, there's so much avarice and so much greed in our lives and i don't mean necessarily for money it's just pleasure can be the avarice and greed that we have it could be all kinds of things and so we we forget we forget god we forget who is our lord who is our master who is our creator who is our savior we forget him and then we go on and, and believing in the way that is most often used is useless because all it means is you're giving verbal and intellectual assent to something and that is 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 jesus co-equal with god did he come to earth did he die for our sins was he raised on the third day and has he ascended into heaven and a lot of people can say yep every single bit of that i believe it I, i believe that which means nothing more than I assent to its truth. I don't question its truth. But but it, it's not meant to be just intellectual assent to that truth. No. It, it, it's meant to raise to a completely different level in your life. It's meant to, to cause you to become a new person, a new creation, just like Will became a new creation. When he was in the hospital, I, I prayed over every tube that ran into his body and, and provided anything. I prayed over the, the, the uh, hose from the ventilator, and I prayed that that would be the breath of God's life into him. And when they were putting blood into him, when they were putting nourishment into him, I prayed that that would all come from God and that would be more of his spirit. And, and that, that what would happen would be truly this young man would be a new creation after he was healed. That everything that went into his body would be from God. It, that's the kind of new creation we're intended to be in Jesus Christ. Our belief in him is meant to inform and change everything in our lives. It's meant to allow us and force us, in fact, to see the world in a different way. To understand who we are in a different way. We're not creatures. We are beloved children of a loving and merciful God. One who loved us enough that he sent his son to die for us on the cross one who chose to come and die for us on the cross, a willing sacrifice to the Lord, who gave up everything, including equality with God, Paul says to the Philippians, in order to come down here and do that rescue mission for those who would otherwise have perished. And that's meant to change us. It's meant to change us and to understand the world in exactly the way he understood the world, understand our lives in exactly the way he understood his life that it's an offering and a sacrifice to God, that we're to be living sacrifices, as Paul says in Romans 12. That's what it's intended for us to be. We are are his people. We are um, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. In other words, our job is to make him known. And when we sin like David did, when we act like David did, when we become bored with the things of God, when we fail to pay attention, when we fail to be where we're intended to be, when we fail in prayer, when we fail in worship, when we fail in reading and understanding and praying over the Word of God, then we make ourselves susceptible. We, we are in such danger of failure the further and further we get from Him. And so it's imperative that we understand what it means to believe in Jesus it's meant to change us radically. It's meant to, to show us what Solomon wrote about, about things under the sun and cause us to seek the things that are above. And David forgot that. David had all that. And then he wanted more still. 
and he didn't seek to get it from God. He, he took of the fruit of the tree and he ate. And now, here he is in need, desperate need of the mercy of God. And fortunately for David, Nathan says, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Now the child that was conceived with Bathsheba, this first child, did die. But God's mercy to David is so great that, it, that it's beyond comprehension. But that's how much God loved David. And it's how much David loved God was to say, I've sinned against the Lord. He didn't first start with, look at all these bad things that I've done to all these people. I can't even apologize to most of them. No, he starts right where he needs to start, which is, I have sinned against the Lord. And that was the important thing, in order that he could get right with God. And now you can make restitution, David. You can be that man again. And David just picks up. God didn't even take his kingdom away from him. Do we understand forgiveness in that way? That that's the way God forgives us doesn't mean we won't pay a price for it because David's going to pay a price. This child's going to die, and then there's never going to be a, uh, the lack of a sword in his house. It's always going to be violence. It's never going to be peace again because of this sin. That's the consequence of David's sin. But David's sins are forgiven. He can now go back to serving the Lord. He need not grovel in fear of the Lord because the Lord forgave him as far as the east is from the west. That's how far his sins are put away. And Paul understood that because Paul was trying to murder the church. He was trying to murder the body of Christ right in the beginning. In this Ephesians passage, we hear him speaking about what we're intended to be because of that belief in Jesus. It, it, it's a powerful statement, and we're going to come back to it in a minute because I, I believe we need to do the gospel first. We need to take a look at that Mark passage. The crowd saw that Jesus wasn't there. He had fed them the day before, remember, the 5,000, nor his disciples. They got into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? They hadn't seen him leave. And he answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. It's about, it was about food. It was about under-the-sun stuff. Don't work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on Him the Father has set His seal. And you would think that the follow-up to that be, would be, no. <laughs> Instead, they say, what, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Huh? Where did Jesus say anything about works? So what should we do? Is there a question? And Jesus says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So the work of God is believing in Jesus. And again, I'm going to tell you for the millionth time, because I'm telling myself for the millionth time, God doesn't just want your intellectual assent to that. It's meant to radically change your lives and, and make you a, a, one who loves God with all their heart, soul, and mind and also loves his neighbor as himself. And those are active things that we're called to. We love because he first loved us, John says in 1 John. And, and that's it. Our love is a response to his love. And, and our lives are meant to be laid down as living sacrifices for him. So if you want to know what the work of God is, love him and love your neighbor actively. It's as simple as that. It's not asking a lot. So they said in response to that, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? Well, you know, they were following him because of the signs that they had already seen him do. 
in healings. But now they, they see you're asking us to step up in faith beyond where we are today. So what sign are you going to give us that we might believe in you in that way? Because remember yesterday or last week what they had said was, this is the prophet, the one like Moses, who's come into the world. And that's exactly what the Samaritan woman in, in John 4 believed, is that same thing. This is the prophet that's to come into the world. They're not seeing him as Messiah yet, but so they're looking for one like Moses, and they're going to listen to the one like Moses, and they want signs exactly the way the people in Egypt wanted a sign when Moses came to them. And, and so they, they proposed the sign, right? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it's written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. How about that, big boy? You want to be the prophet? You want us to believe in you like that? Then, then do that. Give us food every day. So Jesus was right. You followed me because you ate your fill of the loaves. And so Jesus responds then and says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always, which is exactly what the woman at the well in Samaria said when he promised her that water. So everybody's responding the same way, but, but, they're, but they're not seeing that Jesus is not speaking of literal water. He's speaking not of metaphorical water or bread either. He's speaking of something different. He's speaking of metaphysical life, eternal life. And in both cases, that's exactly what he's offering. And they miss it entirely. Give us this bread always. They're thinking about some physical bread that they're going to be able to eat. And Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life, me. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's asked for a lot. Now, do you believe in that? He says, how about this? You, you, you're willing to believe that I'm the prophet, and, and you're not quite even there yet, because you're still asking for a sign that we might even believe that, that I'm the one like Moses. But, but no, I'm more than that even. I am the bread of life. The bread that you're craving because that's what they wanted, really. I mean, that's what he says to them, right? Because what he said is, um, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and grants life to the world, and that's what they want. And that's what the woman wanted. But, but they made the mistake of believing that the gift of that was physical and, and that it was going to be bread and it was going to be water. And, and Jesus' response to that is, just keep an eye on me. You'll see, ultimately, what it means. This is given to you. It is true bread from heaven, and it's true living water welling up to you to eternal life. It's the power of the Holy Spirit living within us to convict us of the truth of these things, certainly, but to impel us to live according to his commands and to live in the way that would glorify the Father in the same way that Jesus glorified the Father, which is taking up your cross and following him, laying down your life, losing your life that you might save it. It, it, it. It's not to go on being who we were before. Our attitudes need to be informed by the Word of God and by the Spirit of God. If we're not led by the Spirit, if we continue to be led by the Spirit of the world, then, then we're going to find ourselves in all kinds of danger. And that's what David's doing here. David was in danger because he was following the Spirit of the world, which is to say, I've got a life of ease, I'm the king, and I want that, so I'm going to have it. And, and we, we need to curb our appetites. We, we need to set our sights 
on the things above the sun. I'm not pretending to be great at that by any stretch of the imagination, I, but I just know it's true. And, and I, I'm praying every day that the Lord would, would cause me to live more in line and in tune with the Spirit of God rather than what John would like. And it's a difficult process of transformation. Confirmation's easy. We can be conformed to the world very simply. That's what we've done our whole lives. Because the world wants you to conform to it. It wants you to agree with it. It wants you to applaud it. No matter what it does or what it says. But nope, we're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so it begins with our minds, certainly. But, but we need to get past the idea that simple believing, the truth of things, is what Jesus means at all. Nope, it's to believe it as though your life depended upon it being true. That's what belief means. That's what the word credo means. It means uh, that I have accepted something as true against other truths, and I'm going to point my life in that direction, and I'm going to allow that truth to completely control my life, and my life will be an experiment in whether or not I truly believe it. David didn't believe it at that moment when he took Bathsheba. He didn't believe that he was answerable to God. He believed that he got away with it, and we know that because, well, he trusted Uriah to take the message that would lead to his own death. David did everything he did to, quote, cover up his sin. David You can't cover up your sin from God. That fig leaf won't fly. It won't work. It doesn't do the job you think it's doing. And so something has to die, just as it did in the garden, in order that David might live. That he not perish. Brutal. Brutal. But in Ephesians, Paul is writing from prison. This is a man who who wanted to imprison the leaders of the early church. In fact, he he would have been willing to imprison everybody who said they believed. But now he, himself, is a prisoner as he writes the Ephesians. I therefore am a prisoner of the Lord. Urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. In other words, don't just believe in your minds. No, walk that out. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Be the person who is worthy of what they have received. And that should be mostly the, the goal of our lives, to be the person who, who would be worthy of God's love and worthy of his sacrifice of his son and worthy of eternal life. He says, walk that out with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Bearing with one another, man, that's asking a lot because I'm not easy. Ask people who were in my church who didn't think that I was an easy guy. But it, it's, but I didn't bear well with them either because I considered them not to be easy. Well, none of us are. And so I failed some of them because they were difficult. And I failed to bear with one another in love. I still do it. It's not easy. It's never easy because we're all different and we look different, we act different, we think different. But what we have to do is treat one another like brothers and sisters in the Lord in all cases as the one whom the Lord loves, his precious child. Not just me, but you. And that's harder. 
But that's the reason we're to bear with one another in love. We're to, we're to forgive one another and to love one another. But we're also to call one another into account for sin, certainly. And, and he says the reason we do that, because that's the other thing about believing Jesus was the Messiah and that all those things in the creed are true, is also believing that he's the only one. And that's what Paul's going to say next. He says, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. One. The power of one. There's one. You don't have to go searching for other things, but you do need to proclaim him as the truth, the way, the truth, and the life, as Jesus says that he is in John 14, 6, and no man comes to the Father but by me. So that's believing in Jesus is to say, I'm not looking for anything else. I have everything I need to have eternal life. And if you want everything you need to have eternal life, then, then believe in him and follow him with all your heart. Join us. Don't fight us. Join us. And then therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. By saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions in the earth. So in other words, there's a place to ascend to, and it ain't earth. It's above the sun. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. And we talk about that, about being the five-fold ministry. Apostles, those who go proclaim the gospel. Prophets, those who foretell God's future. The evangelists, the ones who, who, who go and tell the gospel everywhere. The ones, the ones who serve essentially under apostles. The shepherds, those who who are among the flock, taking care of the flock, doing pastoral care, but whether you're paid or unpaid to do that. And also teachers, who are you? And what has God called you to do within that five-fold ministry? And how are you living that out today? Yes, I believe in the priesthood of all believers, but a priest without a parish makes no sense. And your parish can't just be your family unless you're in quarantine and don't have access to any other human beings. No, it's whoever, it's wherever you regularly are. And those people are people God's given to you to exercise ministry with and to. <clears throat> and the reason he gave the five-fold ministry, Paul says, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. The work of ministry doesn't belong to the paid clergy staff. It's to all the saints who make up the body of Christ for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. We're supposed to believe the same thing. That's the point of a creed. So we're to be instruct, build up, and equip the saints in unity of belief, unity of faith, and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Grow up into him who is your head. Let you, as members of the body, be fitting to have him as your head and glorify him in all things so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Paul's seen it, man. He, he, he said, look, I, I got these people who come around all the time and what they're trying to do is teach you false stuff. They're trying to teach you that you got to be circumcised. You got to do all this stuff or they're teaching you other things about Jesus. They're teaching Gnosticism that there's this greater revealed wisdom that takes you out of conformity with the Word of God. He says, no, 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 no. That's not who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to know better. 
rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We are to grow into that mature manhood and womanhood in Christ. We're supposed to be able to stand firm on what we believe, know it to the depths of our being and be able to defend it from anyone who comes against it. Our faith needs to be strong and it needs to change our lives to become more and more like him every single day of our lives. Submit yourselves, Paul says, to this process by the transformation of your mind and the renewing of your hearts. Become a new creation. And Paul shows us the way, as a human being, um, to do that. He knew the love of God. He knew the mercy of God. And he never looked back from his pursuit of becoming Christ-like because he understood that was the process of discipleship was to become more and more like Jesus. And in order to do that, you've got to be in the Word, you've got to be in prayer, and you've got to be willing and able to serve God in any way. You've got to set your sights on those things above that you lose not eternal life. Blessings on your week. I hope that the Lord blesses you mightily this week. And and, and I pray that he would convict you of, of whatever sin might be keeping you from fullness in Christ. And that he would convict you of that in order that he might forgive you as you confess and repent of those sins, just as he did with David. In Jesus' name.